millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Collider Ladies Night. I'm so excited to get to introduce you to my latest obsession right now. It's Vikings Valhalla, and I have one of the stars here, Frida Gustafsson. I already said this to you before we started recording, but oh my God, I love the show. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. That's so exciting. It makes me so happy to hear. I'm so happy for you guys. All right, so I didn't warn you about step one of Ladies' Night. We play with this dice tower behind me. Okay. I got eight questions here. You get three rolls on the tower, and whatever I roll for you, that's where we start. Okay, amazing. All right, first roll up. Going with a number seven to start. This one is movie and TV skills. If you could learn a new skill or about a different profession through a role, what would you pick and why? I mean, that's the beauty with with my job. You know, you always get to pick up so many wonderful skills and you're always trained by people who are so skilled at what they do. Um, I would love to get to learn a new language. I think that'd be an incredible experience. All right, you got a second role here. Okay. All right, we are moving over to a number two. I'm happy we got this one. It's Vikings role swap. If you could swap roles with anybody on the show, who would you pick and why? Hmm. It's a really good question. Um, well, maybe I guess I would like to switch with, um, you know, the wonderful David Oakes who plays um, Earl Godwin. I think he's such a such an interesting scheming character and it would be wonderful to be maybe not a Viking because I mean all the Vikings they're great you know I, I'm very pleased that I am indeed a Viking but it would be fun to you know see it from the Saxon point of view I I can understand that I was kind of hoping you would go for Olaf <laughs> I know it was my first one but I was like I'm not gonna give him the pleasure of Olaf because oh how good is that <laughs> character how good is Johannes playing it it's I'm obsessed. Honestly, I'm not just saying this because you're on Ladies Night right now, but it's one of those shows where I look at the entire ensemble and it's nearly impossible to pick a favorite character because they're all such different personalities with such different priorities and they make such a big impression. 
I don't know. I can't pick a favorite, but he is fantastic in that role. Yay. <laughs> All right. You got one more roll in the tower here. We're ending this with a number three. Number three is never again. What is something that you did for a role that now makes you say, I'm very glad I tried that, but never again? Wow. I I don't know. I don't have anything that's happened to me that, that I'm like, oh, I wish that would have never happened. I feel like with everything, even when things go really, really wrong, you always learn something. I mean, I've ended up like, you know, bruised all over in the hospital, cracking, you know, like bones and, but at the same time, it's, it's what I love about this job. So, so far, no, I have no no's, if that makes sense. It not only makes sense, but I love that answer. I love that attitude. All right, let's get into the meat of the conversation now. So usually I start by asking someone for, you know, the movie, the performance, personal experience that first made them say, I want to be an actor. But I know your first step in the entertainment industry, I guess, was modeling. And I don't know all that much about that end of the industry. So some of these questions might feel ill-informed, but I guess let's start with what inspired you to get into that line of work to begin with. Absolutely. Um, so for me, um, I was like a little theater monkey child. I come from like a working class family in like a suburb outside of Stockholm. And I've always just, you know, loved performing and being in front of people. So when I was little, I was acting and, you know, I was in theater classes. And um, then like pre-puberty, I went from being this, this like little small child to um, being incredibly tall, like a stick figure. And um, I kind of had a hard time with that. I didn't feel comfortable in my own body. I, you know, like all the girls had boobs in school and I was just straight and I didn't feel very good about myself. So I kind of lost my confidence and, you know, to go up in front of people and be like, look at me. And by like, you know, some kind of divine intervention, someone had a plan for me to, you know, deal with all of that. Um, so I was scouted uh, eating meatballs at Ikea <laughs> the most Swedish thing ever. And when they first come up to me, they're like, oh, do you want to be a model? I was like, you know, choking on my meatball going, what? Um, so I, you know, I spoke to my dad who was there with me and we said, you know, it might be a good thing for me to, you know, try to break out of my shell a little bit and, you know, get more comfortable with myself. And then that just kind of took off way more than I ever expected or, you know, could even have dreamt of. So yeah, it's on that road. Okay. So it kind of happens by chance to start. Was there an early gig in the modeling realm that kind of made you think, you know, I'm really proud to be part of this industry and doing this work. And I need to, I need to keep having this creative satisfaction through this form of art. Yeah. I think for me, it was when I was 16, um, I got to travel to Paris for the first time for the couture week. And, you know, it's, I love fashion. I think fashion is such an incredibly powerful tool of expression. Um, and I remember sitting um, at the Valentino Couture office. Mr. Valentino himself had just retired. So Pierpaolo and Maria Grazia had just taken over. It was their first show. And I was the look model. So you're there and they try all the clothes on you. And then the real models come in and they try their outfits for the show. And I realized on the board that slowly they were filling all of the looks except for the first and the last one. And I was like, no, can't be. And then at the end of the day, they were like, well, it's time for your fitting. So they chose me to get to open and close the show um, 
which was monumental for me. I went from being like a, a random Swedish nobody to all of a sudden having like, you know, Vogue chasing you outside and being like, who is this person? Can we photograph you? And I, I then realized, you know, how fickle this industry is. It's all about being at the right place at the right time and having the right attitude. Um, and that, I think, you know, it taught me a lot about, you know, how, you know, it's, it's maybe, you know, somebody maybe had a bigger plan for me or something. So I, I was just very thankful to have gotten that opportunity. And from then on, it just kind of took it to, to another level, I guess. Wikipedia informs me that you took a, I think it said a five-year modeling break. Why did you take that break and was it to pursue acting? Yeah, I feel like um, for me, the end goal was, you know, always, I've always wanted to act. It's what I, you know, I've always had that feeling inside of me that I was like, this is the only thing I think I'm ever going to be truly good at. This is the only thing that I ever really want to pursue. Um, But I also have so much respect for the craft. And I think coming from a modeling background, sometimes people look at you in a certain way and you know maybe be difficult to be taken seriously sometimes so i was very aware that it was it wasn't going to be an easy road transitioning into acting in the way that i wanted to act i didn't want to play like you know the girlfriend in the bikini or like which nothing wrong with those type of parts but it just wasn't what i wanted to do i had done that you know with my modeling career if you know i wanted to just you know be a sexual object for people to look at i would have stayed and it wasn't what i wanted so i took a leap of faith i you know i quit at the top of my career i moved back to sweden um i started doing like pre drama school courses and it was hard, you know, I didn't have an agent and I couldn't get an agent. Nobody, you know, wants to work with a person who has never done anything before. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was a, a, an interesting couple of years where I felt like I learned so much um, about myself and the the hard work that you need to put in to, to get somewhere in this industry. So with all those challenges breaking into acting, is there anything in particular that happened or a person that you met that made you think like, like I'm, I'm, it's never easy, but I'm here, I'm standing on solid ground and I have a real chance now. Well, I think it was just as soon as I really started dedicating myself to the work and doing like, you know, theater school and, you know, realizing that it was just there. There was something there. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it was a diamond in the rough, if I can use that expression, which sounds a bit silly to talk about yourself that way, but I felt like, yes, I, I have the tools. I need to, you know, to better equip myself to use those tools. You need to like fine tune the instrument. And um, it was a really, really exciting feeling. I think for me, I'd spent so many years fulfilling other people's creative dreams and to finally stand there yourself on a stage and working with text and be like, no, this is my this is my viewpoint. This is what I want to say. This is my interpretation. For so many years, I had been stripped of of that language, where you just show up and you know you're a vessel for someone else's ideas. So it was an incredibly empowering experience, although it didn't at first lead to any actual jobs. <laughs> I have so many questions. Again, I don't know much about the modeling realm, but it, what you just brought up is making me wonder when when you are doing that kind of work. 
Has there ever been an opportunity for you to kind of express your own creativity through it where you were able to make a choice and make a difference, whether it was on a runway, in a photo shoot, you name it? Yeah, there are a, a couple of people that I've worked at throughout my career who I felt have always really seen me as a creative equal and a creative partner. And that's Jean-Paul Gaultier. He is incredible. I love him to bits. And he just has such a, he has fun, you know, he doesn't take himself too seriously. And he just, he wants everyone around him to have a viewpoint and to be a person and to feel like they're a person and to feel like they're a creative partner. So that really, you know, opened up something for me where he would just be like, no, you just go out and run away. Do you want to sit in someone's lap? Do you want to take your glove off and throw it at someone? Maybe not Anna Ventura, but someone else. Um, and that was really empowering to have someone of that stature look at you and go, you have something, you know how to command a room, enjoy it, do it, believe in yourself. I love that. Uh, I also love asking about what someone takes from studying acting in a formal school setting. So, you know, you you believed in yourself and your abilities quite a bit. So what is something that you went into your schooling with that was, you know, innately yours, a, a, an ability that helps you in your acting that you think was always there from the very beginning? And then what's something that you left the schooling with that was something new that you were able to apply to uh, your work following? Mm, that's a really good question. I, I think for me, um, I, I think I have good instinct when it comes to timing i feel like that's something that i've always gotten great response of you know knowing when, when to when to push forward when to hold back and to kind of you know lay out the beats in a way that makes the choices really stand out um something that i learned especially from you know people that i've worked with is the importance of of you know a lot, a lot of times actors can get quite selfish because you're like oh i have this moment i have this scene oh it's my let's say my my breakdown and i get to do all of these things and it can get quite internal and in real life you're you're you know unless you're alone in the scene in real life you always have scene partners or one or multiple and it's always about that dynamic so i think to just not be so selfish, I guess it's something that is really important because you're always there with someone else. And for me, that's always when the magic happens, when you just, you know, look at that other person and you explore it together. Um, so that was something that I really, you know, took from that and something I've worked with to not come in with preconceived ideas or to go like, oh, there, I, I want this from the scene. Because if you come in with, you know, preconceived ideas or, or wants from the scene, you're, you're, you're not in it. You're, you're, planning something ahead and that you know it limits you ladies night audience knows i'm obsessed with talking about the value of a good scene partner i don't think we do it nearly enough so i really love that answer Yay. all right let's let's get into a specific audition here i read that you auditioned for uh force awakens yeah many questions about that first what was that your first like big professional hollywood audition if it was how incredibly intimidating is that and i what does it mean to audition for a star wars movie too well that was kind of in like the the, the death part of my modeling career uh, <laughs> i was still living in new york um i had an agent well i had a modeling agent who is amazing at img models and she knew that i was kind of on the way out. And I think she wanted to um, help me facilitate, you know, the the bridge. And of course, the first audition she comes up with is Star Wars. And I, I think 
I, I did a decent enough job, but I was not prepared to do something of that scale. And I'm incredibly glad that I didn't end up getting it now because I would have absolutely tanked it. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's double, you know, in a way I was like, wow, it's incredible to get to read texts of that quality and to work at that level or to try to work at that level so soon. But also it's quite interesting when you approach it totally green and totally fresh and you don't really realize how big it is to get to do something like that and who the people on the other side of the self tape are. So I guess, you know, it's, <laughs> it was interesting. It was interesting to say the least. So first big audition right there. What is it like walking away from it and not getting it? How do you manage whatever disappointment comes with something like that? But then what is probably the biggest takeaway from that particular audition that you found yourself applying to future ones? Um, first of all, like there, I, 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 I learned so much just about like initially doing self-tapes and then coming and meeting someone um, about how much time it takes, how much I actually really enjoy doing self-tapes and how far you can do and how people actually want to see your perspective. I mean, that's why you're doing a self-tape. That's why you're not in the room. Um, but I mean, a no is a no. And I've had a million no's in my career. I I think that's something that, you know, helps that I've worked since I was 12. Because, you know, I've had no's. No, 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 no. And, and at some point you realize like, oh, well, it's not because I suck. It's not because I'm not good enough or it's not because I don't have any worth of, you know, any self-worth or because I don't deserve to be here. You're not right for everything. I can honestly say so many of the projects that I've read for and then I end up seeing someone else go get it. And you're like, yeah, she's probably going to do a better job than me. But then there are some jobs where you just read it and you're like, no, like no one else is going to do this. This is my part. Like with Freitas, I was like, oh, great. Well, you don't even have to look at anyone else because it's it's my part. So thank you. <laughs> you can honestly feel it when you're watching the show. I, I feel like when that kind of quality kicks in, it radiates off the screen. And I've seen it a whole bunch of times and I can definitely see it here with you. Oh, thank you so much. I mean it. Before we get to uh, Viking. So that is an especially massive production, but you were lucky enough to have the opportunity to work on another very big Netflix project right before with Witcher. You know, it's just, it's one episode, but did having that experience on that set and seeing how it operated, did you find that, that experience, I guess, coming in handy when you hit the Viking set? Absolutely. For me to be able to work on a show of that scale, um, was incredible. Um, the thing that I think I take away from it the most is working with Henry Cavill. I think he, he, he taught me so much on how a number one, you know, should behave. He, even though I came in, you know, I have only like two little scenes with him. Um, it was incredible to see a, a star of that, you know, of that magnitude for me coming in and being this random, you know, Swedish actress the way that he was so collaborative, he was really, you know, very, very sweet about, would you mind if I change this line? Do, do you want to run the scenes together? Making sure that everyone on the set's comfortable, making sure that everyone knows his name, that he knows their names. I think that was really um, eye-opening for me because you hear from, you know, coming from Sweden, you hear so many stories about, oh, all of these Hollywood actors and they're just in their trailers with their massage therapists and they're so horrible. 
And then to meet this man who is like not only the most talented and gorgeous man, but just such a lovely person, um, that was a big inspiration for me. And I hope that I can bring those qualities to set and make sure that everyone that work on my set feel seen, feel like they're a creative partner. And um, yeah, that's that's what I'm, I took away from that the most. I'm just sitting here complimenting you nonstop, but like that kind of attitude is going to wind up making you one of my favorites going forward. I love hearing that about Henry and how you're taking that and running with it. I don't know if you have the answer to this particular question about Witcher, but I'm just wondering when you're doing scenes like that for your own head, do you need to make the decision whether that was really his mother in the flesh or if it was a, a dreamlike state? Um, well, I guess, you know, that's that's my decision and it's not really about I feel like when you're acting, you know, you always make your own decisions that are your internal decisions to make the scenes make sense and to make the acting or the decisions and the intentions real and realistic for you. It it has to come from yourself. I can't go and be like, oh, well, I'm going to play this so because he's, he is dreaming me this way. Um, to me, I was there playing his mother who, you know, wanted to, to find some sort of peace some sort of way for us both to let go of the horrible things that have happened so that's the way I came across it was I real I'm not sure to me it was <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it I'll take it fair enough all right let's get into Vikings now uh what was your very first impression of the role of Freitas going into your very first audition? And then how did that compare to the character we see in the final product? Um, funnily enough, you know, in this job, you get to read so much. You get to re meet so many different parts. And very seldomly, you feel like, oh, I know exactly what I want to do with this. It's always, well, not always, but mostly it's like, it's 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 a bit of a work. It's a bit of a process putting yourself into this other person. For some reason, Freitas just lived inside me. I guess there's like a thousand year old raging Viking woman that needs to like bubble out. Um, but I read it and I was like, oh, great. Yeah, I, I know what I want to say with this. I really know how I want to play this. I want them to give me the opportunity because I know I'm going to do a good job. And yeah, I did the tape um, with my best friend who I always work with, who is incredible. It's an incredible actor, Edwin Andre, and um, sent it off into the universe. And then, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And then I get an email from my agent going like, ah, ah they, want to, they want to fly you to Ireland. And um, I got to go to Ireland to do the chemistry read and um, meet Jeb Stewart, our showrunner, and Morgan and, you know, our producers. And um, Jeb was like, yeah, you got it. You know, I just watched your tape and you were like, yeah, that, that was it. That was what we wanted. So to feel that was incredible. And I think that was probably the biggest like ego <laughs> boost of my life to hear that when you have such a strong instinct about something, and then to have that validated felt great. Love that so much. All right. So I'm always a fan of teeny tiny details, things that are, you know, maybe vital to the foundation of a character or a show, but might not make the biggest impression on screen. So was there anything about Viking culture that, you know, really struck you that maybe we don't see in the spotlight, but you hope that viewers take notice of? Well, for me as a woman, I think it's quite striking to see a, a world where women have so many, you know, 
opportunities to be in control over their own destinies. I think it's an interesting parallel when you look at Hokan and Freydis on one hand, and then you have Emma of Normandy in the Saxon world on the other side, who her entire life has just been seen as a piece of property that can be negotiated with and bought and you know sold almost. Um, women of the Viking era had a lot of autonomy over their own lives. They could marry if they wanted to. They could divorce. They could own property. They could be jarls. They could vote. They could speak up for themselves. And they you know, could make informed decisions. They could travel the world in a way that a lot of women, a lot of women today don't have these freedoms and these, you know, opportunities. So I think that was something that I found really incredible. And unfortunately, it's not such a huge part of the show, but you still get a little bit of a sense of the freedoms of women that unfortunately have been lost throughout the last couple of centuries. For what it's worth, I definitely feel exactly what you just described while watching the show. I think that's a big part of the reason why those characters make such a big impression and feel so vital to the progression of the events throughout the series, even though they are not necessarily the ones putting the plan together and that actually many of them are. Like, I don't even know what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, like Liv kicks so much ass in battle. All I wanted was like more and more scenes of her like taking on other fighters and just like like hearing those like battle cries that she gives out. They're just so badass. Yeah, Louisa Richter, I love her. She's incredible. When she went into the battle, it was like a metaphysical experience. You would just hear her cries, her, you know, shrieks. It was incredible to watch. She is a wonderful performer. She really is. All right, let's get into some specific scenes now. So before we get into spoilers, let's just play around with episode one here. So the opening scene with the Greenlanders sailing to Kattegat, it just looks like the biggest physical challenge to me. So what's something about, I guess, the movie magic that's required to film a scene like that, that maybe made you go, I can't believe this is what it takes to make it look like that on screen? Well, that was a challenging couple of days that I think I'll never forget. Um, we were brought around to the back lot where we have this huge water tank with a blue screen. And we have two huge tractors that create waves. We have four wind machines. We have a couple of rain machines. And then we have these huge cranes that drop one ton of water each second. And when we did the trial, they didn't have those two dumps. So we were like, well, this is fine. And then there's a part in Freitas is standing at the, at the head of the ship and it's moving and you're in your seal skin and there's just water trying to keep your eyes open, trying to hear Sam shouting, but it's so loud. And then I can just hear someone go one, two, and then it comes. And for a second, I completely disappear into the water and I can hear like the gasp of the, the crew just going <gasps> like, did she, is she gone? And then I come out and it's like, that was insane there was very little acting involved we were all just like hold on tie yourself up and the magical thing was that the boat was also hanging at both and both ends so we could lift it so when we're going up and when we're going down we're actually doing that and then they're adjusting the water cannons to just wherever we are just aim at our faces 
I was on the set of a movie called The Finest Hours once, and it's a it's a, a true story about a boat that goes out and has to save people during a storm. And I've just like never in my life seen like a tank, a gimbal, and just like all the elements as realistic as possible, just blasting them in the face for hours. So ever since that experience, every time I see a scene like that, I'm just like, holy shit, I can't believe you guys can do that. You're like, I know what comes, you know, what what comes with this territory. Yeah, it's it's pretty intense. All right, let's get into the story now for her specifically. One, one thing that I was wondering at the beginning was, was why now? Why do the Greenlanders decide that this right here is the right moment to go out and track down Freitas' attacker? That's a really good question. That's something that I've spoken to um, with the wonderful Sam Corlett, who plays Leif Erikson, who plays my brother. Um, you know, we grow up in this very small, tight-knit community, and I guess it's a... It took time, the way we talked about it, it, took time to get, you know, a crew to come with us. You know, some of our younger cast members were maybe too young. I mean, we grew up in a place where, with only 40 people. It's not a lot of people. And you need, you need you know, a crew of at least eight to be able to row five weeks across the Atlantic. So that was one factor. And um, also to uh, to get the permission of, of Eric to leave, you know, the, our little settlement in shape enough that they're going to be able to survive because eight, you know, people out of 42, that's, that's a, it's a lot of people that, that are going to go. And then I guess also, you know, for dramatic purposes, it's great that we arrive just when things are kicking off. So <laughs> that's very true. It, it also made sense to me because it felt like that gave her the best possible shot of finding him when they are all, you know, descending on this one particular town. I mean, there's there's no, you know, canon answer to this, but just for your own mind, I was also wondering if it wasn't for the mission to go and find and kill her attacker, what do you think Freitas would have been doing in Greenland? What, what do you think? I don't know. This is a simple way to put it, I guess. But what do you think she wanted to be when she grew up? What did her life, the future of her life look like to her before that? I, I think for Freitas, I mean, the things that are important to her is to live a life where she's true to herself, where she's true to her own beliefs. Um, if you compare her to her brother, for example, who I think had a more difficult time growing up in the shadow of such a, you know, violent but also recognized father, I think without, if we, if the Greenlanders would have come, we would have just, you know, done what we wanted to do and gone back, I think Freitas would have been extremely happy and had like a wonderful life hunting a polar bears and eating them and skinning them and sailing around and doing little trips. Um, for her, it's she never had those big, you know, desires to be so famous throughout history or to be, you know, the most recognized person. So she probably would have had a lovely life back home. I believe that. All right, I'm going to put the spoiler warning up for this next question so you could really talk about it freely. So in in shows and and, uh, movies, I feel like I've heard countless times from characters, someone saying, you know, like, revenge is pointless. It's going to wind up offering you no satisfaction. And if anything, it'll just like plunge you further into darkness. But that's not the case for Freitas. And I found that so interesting. So just like, why, why do you think for her that's not the case and she comes out of that mission stronger than ever? Uh, well, well, for Freitas, I mean, she's a believer in the, in the old gods and in the old ways. And within Norse lawmaking, 
um, you were within your right to kill someone who had raped you. So it was a matter of very, it's a very practical thing for her. You know, you do something to me, I'm going to do this to you. It's a matter of law. It's a matter of, you know, reclaiming my, my, my honor and my right in society. So it comes from a very practical standpoint. And then, you know, she meets Harold, who's a Christian, who is busy trying to make everyone, you know, like each other, not judge each other too much. And um, it's, it's an interesting dynamic, you know, with people who come up about it, like the great Olaf says, revenge is the motive of the heathens. Uh, yeah, it is. What about it? I mean, that makes all the sense in the world. That's why this this whole world just like fascinates me to no end. All right, let's go. So you already kind of brought up how Leif is impacted by their father, but we don't really hear all that much about his effect on Freitas. And I kind of feel bad asking you some of these questions when I know you've shot season two and maybe it's going to come up down the line. But just for your own head going into season one, what do you imagine her relationship with her father being like? I, I think for for Freitas, I mean, she has a very different relationship to her father. I think whereas Leif is struggling to be in the shadow, maybe it's because Freitas is a woman and she doesn't feel the comparison in the same way. Uh, she, I think also... Freitas is a bit more self self secure than her brother is, so she's a bit more in control over her own power. She knows she's powerful. She knows she's impactful. She knows she can command a room. So in that way, she doesn't feel like she has to compete with him in the same sense. Freitas is also incredibly impulsive in the same way that Eric is. So I think they're a bit more similar, and perhaps because she is a woman. There is no such, you know, the the competition between them is not as as obvious as maybe it is between Leif and Eric. I love the subtlety that he brings to that when playing Leif and you know just acting on the pressure that he felt from his father. I thought that was very beautifully done. Yeah. Episode five, the uh, the Uppsala part. So after she goes through that ceremony and has that encounter with the seer, what is the biggest difference between the way you tackled the role before that and then after? Uh, that's a good question. Um, up until that point, you know, she's been on a, on a quest and everything's been kind of complex and vague and, you know, hidden behind shadows. And for the first time, all those things that Yal Hokam said, you know, about, that she needs to find her destiny, she needs to fulfill, she has a bigger part to play. All of a sudden it dawns on her that, yeah, maybe that's true. And having seen her, you know, loved ones die for her, being brutally murdered, having, you know, been torn away from her brother, picking up that cloak is maybe not something that she feels incredibly excited to do. And it go, it's it's heavy work and she is not, She's not honestly that interested in being at in the forefront and going, oh, look at me. I'm going to I'm going to be the one who saves all of us. Um, there's a lot of survivor's guilt involved. And um, she's really struggling with accepting that she may be this, quote unquote, chosen one. OK, so then the next step is her, you know, kind of, I guess, picking up the sword and shield. Episode six just kind of blew my mind and I need to now ask you how much of your own stunt work you're doing because when she's taking that test I mean there are so many long shots with minimal cuts and it looks to me like you are doing the large majority of the stunts yourself so is that the case and what was that training like 
Um, yeah, I was fortunate enough to work with the most incredible Sun crew, and we quickly realized that I was able to do it. We had to um, put in a lot of work. Um, but except for one takedown in the fight in episode three, I do everything else. I was supposed to do the takedown, but we did it. And then I slid and I got, I fractured my elbow. So after that, I wasn't allowed to do the takedown again. Um, but apart from that, every single thing that you see, um, I have done with the wonderful work. Um, I have a wonderful double, Karin, who is a Swedish um, stunt performer who is excellent, who has been my rock and cried with me and bled with me and when I've been on the ground and you're bleeding and you cracked your hand open, she's always been there to lift me up and just look at me and go, I know you can do it. We've put in the hours. Come on, let's do it. So I've had my, you know, like team Freitas and that was, yeah, we worked really, really well together and uh, it was hard work, but I'm very proud of the results. Job well done to you and that team because it's just like, it blows my mind because I feel like that's not usually the thing, whether someone wants to do it or not. It's just yeah. not the type of intensity that's usually allowed. And you just like, I mean, you sell, you sell it perfectly. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. All right. Here's another tough question, knowing that you guys have filmed more, but at the, at the very end of season one, what do you think Freitas' greatest weakness is moving forward? Freitas' greatest weakness moving forward. What I really liked to play with was, you know, Freitas arrives in the beginning and she's almost radicalized in her beliefs. She sees the world so incredibly black and white, good, bad, pagan, Christian, um, and slowly with meeting Jarl Håkon and meeting Harold, that's opened up. And towards the end of the season with the betrayal of Harold, with Jarl Korda, with the death of Jarl Håkon, she's coming back into that headspace. She's slowly closing herself off again. And um, I think that would be her biggest weakness, the the intolerance and the... Um, the inability to see the complexities and the nuances. I got very hung up on the line she delivers in, I think it was episode six, when she just like says with such authority, I can deliver justice myself. I'm like, you can. That might not be the best mentality to embrace. <laughs> Pull it back a little. Yeah, well, that, it's just Freitas in a nutshell. And I feel like that's, it's, it's also Freitas and Harold's relationship in a nutshell, because they're both like, no, I'm the big, bad, strong one, and I want to take care of you. And it's a really interesting dynamic to play. <clears throat> All right. So we're nearing the end of Ladies' Night. We always end with a second game. I'm sure you could tell I'm a little obsessed with horror movies, so sometimes I love doing mashups. So right now, we're going to put the cast of Vikings in the middle of a zombie outbreak. So I'm setting the scene for you. You guys are filming a scene where, at, like, it doesn't matter of the story. Like, everyone's together. You're all shooting a big ensemble scene. Everyone's on set. And then there's a zombie outbreak. I'm going to give you some character descriptions, and you need to tell me which actor best suits this description and why. The first one is, who is the most likely to be the very last person to catch on and not realize that there are zombies on set? <laughs> I, I, I was um I think that'd be Louisa Louisa Richter she uh, uh, she'd probably be the yeah the last one to die because she wouldn't 
you know, even realize that there would be something happening and she'd just go about her life. She is so wonderful and she lives in this beautiful world that she fully occupies herself. Yeah, I think that would be her, absolutely. <laughs> I love how you spun that into her surviving because when I think of this question, I'm like, the last one to catch on is going to be the first one to get bitten. But like, you just gave her the edge there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all for it. All right. Who is the most likely to sacrifice themselves for the group? Oh, wow. That would probably be Leo. Yeah, probably be Leo. He's such a lovely man and he's so, so generous and he's always so willing to put everyone else's needs in front of others. And he's yeah, just an incredibly generous person to work with and to, to know as a friend. So he'd, he'd be our hero. All right. This one, I'm really curious to know your answer because I just watched an entire season of television where everyone's doing fantastic stunts nonstop. Who is the most likely to trip and fall while running from the zombies? <laughs> oh my God. Um, shall I maybe say Johannes? <laughs> okay. Let, but let me say that it's only because he's wearing this incredibly heavy cloak. Yeah. Exactly what I was thinking. I know yeah. I'll definitely buy that. Mm -hmm. This is one of like my favorite cliches in zombie movies. Who is the most likely to get bit and then try to hide their infection? Oh, that would be absolutely be me. Why? Well, I'd be embarrassed, and I I always want to like you know I don't want to be of trouble ever. So I'd probably be like, no, oh, I, no, I just tripped. Like, it's fine. Nothing really happened. Like, don't worry about me, guys. I'll be fine. And then I'm like, my arm will like fall off. And yeah, that'd probably be me. <laughs> All right. I got two more for you. Yeah. Who is the most likely to be the last one standing? Oh, Sam. I think Sam for sure. He's just so capable in so many different ways. And he'd, he'd like work his life kind of like, send master into it and be able to dodge them and yeah sam so this doesn't really happen in zombie movies but i want to ask it anyway who is the most likely to get turned into a zombie but then fight the change and come back at the last possible second to help save the day oh that's so cool i wish that would have been me <laughs> who could that be um Maybe Caroline, Caroline Henderson, you know, plays Yal Hokan. She would just refuse to be a zombie and then come back and be like the savior of us all. That'd be cool. She'd, she'd be excellent at that. I'm going to have to cut this out because this isn't the spoiler section of the show, but why can't that happen in the show? I need her to come back. I know. Petition. Bring her back. Her and Liv just like broke my heart. I was like, I know it has to happen to up the stakes, but why them why them why not someone else i completely agree with you i miss them both dearly Hi. all right i gotta let you go you got a lot of vikings celebrating to do right now again huge congratulations and thank you for yet another obsession to add to my list of 2022 shows that i just absolutely adore thank you so much the pleasure was all mine um thank you so much for having me 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.